So we ended up with this one sermon, which is a bit of a standalone now, which is on justice. Um, and when Marky sent an email around a few months ago with an uh, invitation for people to take some slots to do some talks, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. I've done that before. Perhaps there'll be one that jumps out at me. And, of course, this one jumped out at me as... I definitely not that one. That is not what I would talk about. That's not me at all. You know, it's not really something I feel like I'd have something to say about. And then, of course, God chipped away at that and was like, yeah, I think there's probably something to say. Um, and it's going to be slightly different this morning. So I think we're going to approach it a little bit differently. Um, I think the main reason that I started feeling like there was something I could say on this was I saw a video. So I thought, actually, I'll show the video because it's quite long. It's about six minutes. But actually, it says so much in six minutes. If I spoke for six minutes, I'd barely cover half. And it's so impactful to have the visual alongside. So we're going to start with the video. And then there'll be several opportunities to respond in different ways. We'll have communion together, and then there'll be some reflective time. I'm hoping that this morning will be far more reflective than perhaps we often are, which I know some of you will be delighted about. Others will think, oh gosh, what will I do in the silence? Um, at the back of the notice sheet that hopefully you've got, or we can bring round if they are still at the back, um, there's space to write reflections on what you feel God's saying to you as an individual, what struck you in the surface. Maybe it's happened already in the song or what we've just been praying about, um, but you'll have something that you can write on if you need to. Great, so I think that's all I want to say before we watch this video, apart from the fact that it's from an organisation called The Bible Project on justice I almost felt like I could just show that video and then sit down and leave you to think about it for 40 minutes. Um, but I thought there'd be a few things I want to say and maybe unpack a bit and a few ways that I'd want to encourage us to respond. And the first of those is we're going to take communion because I think it's firstly really important to recognise how God has taken that red, guilty ribbon that was in, used in that video, that, that declaration that actually none of us can stand before him. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of injustice. We're all guilty of rebellion against him. And through the cross, those two elements of justice that the video talked about, that restorative justice and the retributive justice, both are satisfied through the cross. The, the rebellion of humanity is paid for, and yet God stands for the disadvantage, for the poor, for the vulnerable, for us who could do nothing about it. He stands in our place to take the punishment for us. So we're not going, we're not going to rush. I want to give us plenty of time to do communion and, and have time to reflect before you come up. On the table, there is a red ribbon. You might want to use that to reflect on the cross, what Jesus paid for maybe confess anything you feel the need to. And then I invite you to come up when you feel ready and I'll move the cross into the centre and just tuck the ribbon around the crown of thorns that is on the cross. I'm hoping it will, I'm hoping it will work if you've got two hands. There we go. And then come up to the table and help yourself to communion. On the table, there will be bowls of white ribbon. So if you'd like to take one to take away with you as a reminder, do you take one? 
if you aren't able to make it up to communion and would like someone to serve it to you, that's absolutely fine. Um, rather than come round and force you to take it when we get there, if you just indicate by raising your hand that you're ready to take communion, then Jill or I will come and serve it to you. And I felt like I just wanted to say before we start, there's a passage in John 13 where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And I really wanted to remind us that when we come and do this, we don't, it's not coming as if it's the first time every time. We don't come having to bring everything. We are, if we put our faith in Jesus, we are saints. We are declared righteous with his righteousness. But we just need to wash our feet. We just need to say, oh, I've forgotten again that God's declared me righteous. I've been acting as if I didn't know that. And so we come, and that's what the red ribbon represents. Not everything in life that we've ever done wrong, but just the things that we just need to wash off again as we come to the table. So we're going to start with a a few moments just of silence as we reflect, and then Iron and the band are just going to lead into some gentle worship. Feel free to take your time as you come up and respond with communion. As the video referred to, when God called Abraham, the idea was that Israel would be a community that would reflect God's heart for the vulnerable, would reflect a different way of living. God says in Genesis 18 about Abraham, he says, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So Israel's called to reflect their maker. And we know what God's heart is. We've talked about it so much this morning already. Psalm 46, which was mentioned in the video. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. And subsequent books from, on from Genesis, we see God gives the law to Moses. And I, I don't know about you, but when I read the law, I'm often thinking, this is all the list of what you should do. There's lots of shoulds. And there's a lot of detail that doesn't seem to make much sense to me. And why is he talking about crops and what you can make clothes out of and things like that? But actually, this is God's way of showing, if you want to be a community that reflects who I am, here's some boundaries of what it looks like. I don't know whether your children do the... But what about that? And what if this? And what about in this situation, this precise situation? Is that still the rule? So here God's laying out 
a load of different things, some of which don't make much sense to us. But some, some would apply, like in Leviticus, where he talks about using honest measures. Don't take disadvantage of people who don't realise that you've put a little bit heavier, so they have to pay a bit more. Don't do that. Um, he sets out for them how to treat the priests. So when the land is divided up, all the tribes get their bit of land and that's, that belongs to them as their inheritance. But the Levites don't get any because their job is to be in the temple and looking after the temple and worship and all the sacrifices. So God lays out a law that says, well, don't take advantage of them because they haven't got any land. You must give your, your tithes belong to them. They don't have land, but they have the tithes. That's how you look after those people. And I'm sure most of us are familiar, there's a repeating kind of, it's called the quartet of the vulnerable in many commentaries, things about orphans, widows, the poor and the alien, the stranger. And so that's a repeated pattern through a lot of the prophets. It says, look how you're treating these people, these very vulnerable people around you. And yet it's not set up as do charitable things, be nice and kind to them. It's set up to restore them and give them dignity. So there's laws about if you own a field and you're, you're harvesting your crops, don't harvest all the way to the edge because then the vulnerable can come and that belongs to them. They can work and provide for themselves. So it's not just about giving money away or doing what we might think of as charity. It's far more. And then the, the most... Uh, perhaps extreme, the most surprising thing when it talks in Leviticus about the year of Jubilee, where everything reverts, but things revert back to original owners. So if I've made a bad decision and, and lost loads of money and, and I can't keep my land, I might sell it to Pete. And he can have the land for up to the, the Jubilee year, which happened every 50th year. So if it was year one, Pete would have to pay quite a bit of money for my land because there's a long time until the Jubilee and it reverts back to me. If it was year 45, he would have to pay much less. So there's all these boundaries to think about how do you treat people justly? And then in the 50th year, the Jubilee year, everything reverts back to original ownership, which, I mean, seems so radical these days, doesn't it? But actually, it was to say that actually the community doesn't get some people who are rich and just get richer and richer and richer and more and more land. Actually... It's a community that looks completely different to what we would imagine today. Um, I'm sure we're all familiar with Micah 6, where it talks about that God's told you what is good, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So actually, justice is about, it's in hand in hand with mercy and humility. And I, I, I love, I've read something about Proverbs, and Proverbs talks a lot about the righteous and the wicked, and it kind of contrasts the two. Often in the same proverb, you might have the righteous this, but the wicked this. And it talks about the righteous in terms of people who disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. Whereas the wicked are people who disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. And I just thought that was a really helpful way of thinking. Actually challenging my own motives, you know, in a situation. Am I advantaging myself at the cost of someone else? Or am I looking to serve others? And surprise, surprise, Israel can't show that the, what God's like very well. I could have picked so many verses where you see they haven't done it. The prophets are full of, Israel, look at yourselves. You were called to reflect God. You were called to look after the vulnerable. And yet, and there's a verse in the beginning of uh, Samuel 8, 
where Samuel's handing on to his sons. And it says, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So again and again and again, Israel cannot faithfully depict what God's like. They cannot follow these boundaries that would make them a community that was different. So in Isaiah, it talks, we often hear it at at Christmas, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. So even in the Old Testament, God is pointing to Jesus, saying, I know you can't fulfill that picture of what a community like me looks like, but I will send my son who will show you. And I'm sure you can think of many, many examples in the Gospels of how Jesus did that. I thought of something like Zacchaeus. Jesus seeks him out and restores him. And the impact, you know, she doesn't go to Zacchaeus and say, right, Zacchaeus, here's a list of all the things you should do to make this right or to turn your life around. But actually he goes to meet him where he is and he, through welcoming him, through inviting himself to his house and just showing that he was happy to be with him, he completely transformed Uh, Maybe you think of the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Again, Jesus almost, it seems like he almost seeks her out, makes himself available to her. And she she wasn't even a Jew. How could she be welcomed in? And yet Jesus engages with her. And I thought as well of the woman caught in adultery in John 8 that come, it's it's not someone Jesus seeks out, but it's someone who's brought to him and everyone's expecting him to take her to account, hold her to account and, I guess, follow the, the law and have her stoned, I imagine. And yet, he doesn't do that. He engages with her compassion and with justice. So today, the church is the way that God wants to depict this vision of justice. A just community where the disadvantaged, the vulnerable, the poor are welcomed in and restored, given back their dignity as images of the God, of God who made them. And it stands to those of us who have in some way influence or resources or a voice to do something about it. Now, I really don't want this to be a guilt trip. I don't want you sitting there thinking, okay, here comes the list of all the things we should be doing. It's not about shoulds. It's not about... We should all do the same thing because there's one way or ten ways of making this happen. We're really fortunate because we are post-Pentecost. We have the spirit. And so this is about being open and being responsive to what God's saying to each one of us. That will look different for different people. Some of us have might feel we have a lot of resources or influence or a voice in some way. Some of us might feel like we have hardly any. But all of us are able to have an influence in the communities that we're in, in the spheres in which we move. 
And I think I want to do two things in terms of response. Firstly, I want us to have, again, a time of silence where we can each think and pray about what God is saying to us about justice in our worlds. What he's saying to us about who are the vulnerable people that I encounter. I encourage you to think through the week ahead and think, where will I be? Who will I come across that is at some way, in some way disadvantaged or taken advantage of? Maybe that's someone at work or someone you uh, know at, sc- at the schools that you take your children to or... You know, the the possibilities are endless. So asking God, who's the vulnerable who are the vulnerable people in my world? And asking him, what is he calling you to do about it? I can't stand here and tell you this is what you should be doing this week, church. It doesn't work like that. You know, we see Jesus' life, he doesn't do absolutely everything that could possibly done to be done. He doesn't go to every single place, he doesn't heal every single person, he doesn't do everything he follows exactly he says I do what I see my father doing and I want to encourage you to give the time to ask God what are you doing in my world this week what are you doing in the people that I'm going to come up against and what do you want me to what you're inviting me to step into with you so we'll have some silence to to do that and then afterwards I felt I don't know it might not um, be a pro it might not work not sure it can work or not work, but um, I felt like there's some people in our church who feel called to address justice on a bigger scale. So I really liked in the video where there were those two things that the the white ribbon sort of prompted the the character to do. One of which was when it turned itself into that kind of um, swirling band that hovered over a person, and I feel like that's what I'm encouraging you to think about individually which people might that might the spirit be hovering over but then it also turned into that megaphone where the character was prompted to stand and use their voice to address bigger issues structural powers and how things work and i know that there are some people in in the room in the church who feel strongly about a certain issue maybe it's the persecuted church maybe it's the homeless, whatever it is, they feel really strongly. And I really want us to stand with those people and pray for them. So there will be an opportunity for anyone who feels that they would like to do that to, once we've had our time of reflection individually, I'll invite any of those people to stand and we'll gather around them and pray. Because I think actually when I was thinking about why I felt I had nothing to say about justice originally was I I saw it just as that. I, I don't feel particularly strongly called to be an activist in that sense I, I that just doesn't drive me I think it's important absolutely but it's not who I am but I want to encourage and stand by and pray for the people who think actually that is me I really want to address that I, I was thinking of Esther in the Old Testament how she used her position to advocate for a whole community of people and so I really want to just give you the heads up that that will be coming after we've had our few minutes of quiet So I think probably about four or five minutes of just quiet reflection on our own and then I'll pop up and invite those people to stand if they want to.